welcome to our weekly, and we mean weekly Wednesday night shir, shir dedicated to Baruch Ben Yudah Levi Shalom, and I'm the Basara. Today was the outset of my dear departed father, Allah Shalom, Rishon Tzvi Ben Yisrael Ben Miriam, Rav Achosid, Rav Atomin, Sheikh Debedik, and all the other titles that he had received from the Rebbe on the letters that the Rebbe had written to him in correspondence. A yard site is a very trying time. Um, interestingly enough, besides the emotional part of it, of one thinking about and Reliving memories and moments of the of the beloved past. There's also the spiritual side, mm-hmm. or actually, that would be so wrong, so badly put, so poorly put. Obviously, we always start with the, with the spiritual side before we start with the physical side, the mundane physical side. On the spiritual side. A yard site is a day the person passed, first a day that we remember the person. We commemorate their life, going over memories, thoughts, hopefully fond memories. Usually, when it comes to a parent, comes to a parent, child has, can, usually dig deep enough if they need to, to remember the parents nicely, to remember the parents in a good light. Today's society, unfortunately, lends itself to so many different aspects. People have a much harder time relating to their parents, connecting to their parents. Parents today are 
either the jet setting mode or the entrepreneur always very busy today unfortunately modern technology took over our lives either the parents on a smartphone on the computer something somewhere on social media and of course ironically complaining chronically about their children doing the same we said many times in the book of the making of the surgeon He writes when he was um, in surgery and he was assisting and the surgeon turned to him asked him for something a tool, an instrument and he handed the surgeon the instrument and the surgeon looked at the instrument threw it on the floor I think he writes a swear word. It says, Give me what I need, not what I ask for. Today's parents have the same problem. In a different way, obviously. They address things, they approach things differently. And unfortunately, the language barrier builds up. Gets to a point, parent doesn't recognize child, child doesn't recognize parent. There's zero communication between them. And at some point, an animosity can build up. When a child is told in a derogatory fashion, give me what I need, not what I asked for. When a child is told, why are you acting that way? If a child has, catches a cold, Child gets strep throat. My mother, Shalom, was very, very powerful, and I've said this before. She used a line I know nobody in the world could use. When one of the children was sick, she would say, Mir Zazayim Fadir. She was ready to take on whatever ailment child had child shouldn't be sick God forbid she would rather be sick for the child she would accept 
the pain of the child. Oops. She was ready to accept. Oh man, what do we do with Scranton? Scranton, are you back? I think we lost Scranton. We picked up Atlanta, lost Scranton. Hold on, Scranton and Atlanta. I'm going to have to call you both. Okay, we have Atlanta here. Try to add Scranton. That didn't work. There we go. Oh no. It's not here we go. Okay. Let's see if we have both. I think we have do we have both? Now is Atlanta. Now I got back Scranton, I lost Atlanta. This is not good. Um, let me see if Atlanta is going to call back in. Let me try to add Atlanta. Um, Okay, so add it. Let's see if that works. It didn't work. Okay, there's a problem. Oh, wait a minute. It's doing something. Oh, we got both. There we go. Miracles of modern technology. We brought back Scranton and Atlanta together. Baruch Hashem for 120 years you guys should always work together pleasantly communication therefore has become very difficult for parents and child alike And it needs to be addressed in today's society. And every expert that there is out there, every psychologist, every social worker, every socialist, whatever you want to call them, they're all out there building that bridge, tying the gap that there is between the parent and the child. Who needs you? Who needs you? Mommy unfortunately can't choose between career and child. It's not career. There are some mothers that need to get out of the house. They need to lead their cosmopolitan life. And they don't look at the cost 
they don't look at the the damage that's being done. My sanity comes first. Or, I have the child, or the two or three, they got to go to school. You know what the schools are asking for? Tuition. I have the child. They need music lessons. They need ballet. They need clays. Uh-oh. I gave an eye and her to Scranton. Now I lost Atlanta again. Oh my gosh. Who's paying for this? Who's gonna my, my husband's salary can't support it less? And then who's going on vacation? Who has the country home? Who has etc. etc. Now I would like to say that all the above are done for my children. But society today says you do it for your children in an abstract form. An abstract way. You don't take the children on the vacation. You don't take the children to all the relaxing mm-hmm. Oh man. Skype is really in bad shape today. All these extracurriculars you send the child to ballet, the child's got two left feet. You send the child to soccer, and he's got no hand and eye coordination. Mm-hmm. All the things you're sending your child to. First of all, you're not even asking the child. Mm-hmm. Ask you open the door, please. Um, Scranton, I'm going to hang up and I'm going to call both of you back together. Hold on a second. Because it's not working here. Esther, you locked the door? Yeah. Someone's at the door. Someone's at the door, I believe, yeah. Please, thank you. Okay, now let's hope this works. Sorry. So, you take the child, you take your daughters to the, the makeup people or whatever it is to check their palette, to see what their colors are, to see what colors are good for them. Huh. You're obviously doing it for them. After all, you want them to look good. 
However, society today, we start at 9 now. Because we can finish on time. Light is early enough. However, we forget or we don't admit to the fact that no, it's not really the child's interest, best interest we have. Oh no, why did Scranton just leave? I don't know. It's mommy who wants to walk around proud and say, oh, look at my daughter. Okay, Scranton is back. It's Daddy who says, look at my son. He's got two left feet, but he's playing soccer. His team won. He never got off the bench, but his team won. And all the other things. They put the children into, into music lessons. And there are some talented children that Baruch Hashem can deal with the music lessons and do very well. And then, of course, we have the TV. The best, world's best babysitter. The child gets sat down in front of the TV. And the parents can say, Davai das vidanya. I have nothing to worry about now. They're not going anywhere. And they just sit there, mesmerized by the screen. The good old-fashioned upbringing. The good old-fashioned parent who mixed up all the children's names, but not because they didn't know who was who. Because all the children's names were on their mind at all times. The good old-fashioned parent that was seen constantly with a Tehillim because they were saying the children's kapitlach. They were seeing the chapters of the children. This is a devotion. This is a dedication. This is a bridge that gets built without the psychologist, without the psychiatrist, without the social worker, without anybody else. And then we have Rahman al-Sun, the parents that say, what happened? <coughs> Where did I go wrong? Why did my child looking for something else? Why is my child not happy at home? I can say, in spite of the fact that my father worked seven days a week, that sounds terrible. He worked six days a week at a job, and the seventh day he was a chazan in a shul on Shabbos. And didn't live locally to most shuls that he was in, whether it had been Ocean View Jewish Center in Brighton Beach, where it took him an hour and a half to walk there each way, Ooh. and then stand on his feet davening for the almond. And he couldn't come late, because he's the chazan, so he had to be there at 8.30, or before. Meaning that he'd have to leave rain, hail, sleet, or snow at 7 o'clock in the morning. Or when he was in Kingsway Jewish Center, 
also is a solid hour from his house. Or the other shtelvas that he had taken, either be Passaic, New Jersey, Montreal, or Barrenhurst Synagogue in Memphis, Tennessee. But never did he forget my name or any of the children's names. As a matter of fact, last night we made a suda here with the children, the grandchildren that are here. We went around asking the children the memories that they have. And one of the children said, it's not a child, he's 20 plus years old, so he remembers it quite well and vividly. He didn't live here locally, but Aravim Kippur, my father would bench him, would bless him. He would have to be over the phone. And he remembered the tears, feeling the tears coming through the phone of a grandfather blessing a grandchild. And he knew who the grandchild was when he was blessing him. He wasn't just blessing randomly, okay, just put any one of your kids on the phone. He knew each one in order. This is the old-fashioned Chinuch. He wasn't busy on the phone ever. He was busy. He had a phone call here, a phone call there. He wasn't sitting on the computer when the children came home. Needless to say, by the Shabbos, by the supper table, if we ever managed to sit down by dinner together, there was nobody, no answering telephones. Today you come to a dinner table, if the family decides to sit down together, everyone is sitting on their phone. Staring at their phone, they don't even know there's a, f- there's a plate in front of them. People have become so enchanted with their phones. They've been so enslaved by their phones. Today I was driving my car and a fellow was walking across a street against a light on his phone, oblivious. Oblivious. I literally stopped my car and just stood there waiting for this fellow to just keep walking across the street. And just stared at him. I didn't even blow the horn. Wasn't worth it. But he was totally out of it. You sit by red lights and you wait for the guy in front of you to finish texting. Not a red light anymore, it's a green light for a while. And then if you step, if you blow the horn and he says, oh no, and he looks, doesn't look at it in front of him, he looks down and he just puts down the phone and starts to drive. God forbid who knows who's in front of him by that point. The genius has decided that, okay, He's not going, I may as well go in front of him. So, my message from my father to you is to know your children's names. Keep your children in mind all times. Think about their welfare, about their well-being. What are they up to? Who are their friends who they don't like? Know what subjects they're doing in school. Connect. Remain attached to your child so that your child does not go astray and look elsewhere for whatever they can get. Pasha Shaft in Tavshin and Aleph. The Rebbe announced Yesh Novi.
There is a prophet in this generation. The Rebbe spoke about a prophet professing to be a prophet, how it contradicts the concept of humbleness. Fact is a fact. During World War II, our brethren were trying to escape war-torn Europe, the Poland, Hungary, France. And as ironic as it sounds, they were running off to, to Russia. It seemed at the time the lesser of the two evil. The war finished and along came Stalin. His Russia was not more comfortable than war-torn Europe was, to say the least. And so people immediately started applying for exit visas. There was a chosid of Yaakov Lefkivke, who already had family here in America, and he came to apply for an exit visa. You didn't get mailed to your house. You had to come. If you got a visa, you applied for a visa once a year. Your rejection acceptance letter came to the one office. When he came with his visa, to his application, this rabid anti-Semite showed him and says, hair is going to grow on my hand before you get a visa. And by yay, each time he went to apply for a visa, he called America somehow, asked his relatives to write to the Rebbe, he got a bracha from the Rebbe that he should get accepted, his visa should be accepted. The Rebbe never answered. He didn't get an answer. Year after year this was going on, and the Rebbe didn't answer, and he was not accepted, he got rejected. One year the family gets a letter from the Rebbe, this is the year he's going to come out. So they let Rabbi Yaakov know, obviously he was ecstatic, and <laughs> it depends what there is to eat. <laughs> uh, and he applied for the visa, and there was no reply coming. And all his neighbors and friends that had applied were getting either rejection letters, acceptance letters, but he was not getting anything. And he called his relatives. And that Shabbos, there was a Fabrengen. A Hasidic gathering, the Rebbe would sit with, address the Hasidim. And the Rebbe motioned to one of the relatives of Rabbi Yaakov, what's going on? I shook his head, shrugged his shoulders, I don't know. So he said to him, So he said to him,
You go tell him. Get in touch with him. Tell him his visa is waiting for him. He should go into the visa office, raise his voice, stomp his feet, bang on the tables, turn tables over, but his visa is there. And they got through to him right after Shabbos, they told him the message. And then as soon as he could, he went into the visa office and walked up to the fellow and started banging on the table, screaming, I want my visa now. Because what happens is if you got your visa too late, then it would expire and you wouldn't be able to use it anymore. You'd have to wait till the next year to apply again. And he was screaming, I know my visa is here and I want my visa now. And banging on the table. And finally, the guards were coming in. The pit, and he started screaming at the guards also. And then he turned around, he turned the table over, sent everything flying. This is communist Russia here still, you know. Mr. Gorbachev was still had that wall up. And lo and behold, somebody sitting over there on the, right the side <coughs> saw an envelope with his name on it. And said to him, Yaakov, here, here, look at this, this is yours. And he opened it up and there was his visa. The Rebbe was sitting in Brooklyn, New York and knew in Russia a visa of a chassid was sitting on the table waiting for him and knew that there was somebody holding it back. We get a mitzvah in the Torah this week's parsha. I don't know if we've mentioned this week's Shabbos parsha. The Shabbos will be Zion El Happy anniversary, happy birthday. Happy birthday to Ronen, who sponsored tonight's year. The very generous, uh, I'm not sure what, in honor of his birthday. <laughs> Maybe Friday I remember to tell it to you again. Um, Zion El is also a yard site of Rachel Basavis Chaim Shimon. She didn't have much of a life. She was passed away at 16, unfortunately, so too much of a legacy we can't really talk about. She was a very, very devoted and sweet child. She suffered two and a half years before she passed. So may Hanashama be a, have an Aliyah and be a Lisiyasha for everybody in the family. It's a mitzvah minatera. Put a king upon you. And if you look up in the Gemara, if you keep your score at home, the Gemara Sanhedrin and Chafam and Beis. Well, the Gemara tells us there's three mitzvahs that were instituted when the Eden went into Israel. One of them was to set up, establish a king. So it's one of the three mitzvahs. Obviously, it's a very big mitzvah. And not only that, but it's a mitzvah that has to do with entering the Holy Land. Yet, in the days of Shmuel Hanavi, you go to Israel, you can see his grave, and if you have a good tour guide, he'll show you Shmuel Aleph and Shmuel Beis. Mm-hmm. Speaking of Torah education, you know that Rabbi Milstein is making a wedding, right? Yeah, he's making a wedding. I don't know what invitation is already sent me. Anyway, <laughs> in days of Shmuel and Avi, the Jews turned to Shmuel and they asked him to make us a king. 
If you look at the actual text, you will see that the Russian that they say is, they can say, king like all the other nations have a king. We want to have a king like all the other nations. This was not, he did not like this. He got very upset. And HaKadosh Baruch Hu told him, What do they want? They want a king because they're fed up with me. They're fed up with having me as their sovereign, sovereign serenity. Wow. I just read to you a pasuk in this week's Pasha. A mitzvah in Atena, same tosam alecha melech. Place a king upon you. It's a mitzvah in Atena. From the three mitzvahs they had to do when they went into to throw. And HaKadosh Baruch Hu was so upset with their request that he says that they're literally throwing me away. And in general, ultimately HaKadosh Baruch Hu said to Shmuel, do it. Make them a king. HaKadosh Baruch Hu was happy with it. Why complaining? Almost. Why is he saying anything wrong about it? According to Chassidus, I apologize. I fasted today. My father genocide. The fact that I have to eat and drink sometime today, so <laughs> that's why I'm drinking so much during the year. According to Chassidus, it's possible to see that the fact that they needed a king. They wanted the fear of royalty. Mishnah Pikyav has paid a Gimel Mishnah base. They wanted order. They wanted a leader that's going to say, this is the rules. But the actual essence of a king, the actual mission of the, the king, is to raise up the nation to a higher level. The king himself, as it's brought down in the Pasuk and Shmuel, was Meshich Meumayla Gveya Mikolam. He was a head taller than everybody always. So the people should look up to him physically and spiritually, physically, look up to him that they should want to achieve and ascertain his level. Hey, hey, don't jump the gun. Give me a chance. Okay. To raise up spiritually and in their holiness and their own strength, their inner strength. A level they couldn't achieve on their own. Am Yisrael generally threw upon the king a task that should be complacent, should be compliant to their life and should make them their, it should be their intermediary between them and HaKadosh Baruch Hu. 
And this way, if I have a physical king sitting on a throne in front of me, not I can depict, but I can feel what rulership is, and therefore relate to the concept of rulership of HaKadosh Baruch Hu. I could see the Hashem sitting on His throne. And the king's mission is indeed to do that. To put the El Malchushemayim upon the Jews. But when the person himself goes and he gets the initiative on his own, Danila Doidi, my own initiative, my Israel Lasata, and I start to bring upon myself, and I say I need to take upon myself the yoke of, of the Almighty, in that case, fine. The king gets to switches to a different mode, and his mission becomes to raise up the nation to a level of Yerushalayim. That again, one could not achieve on their own. And therefore needs the king to help them along with it. HaKadosh Baruch Hu wanted that Am Yisrael should stand in the highest possible level. And therefore, the idea of the king, the mission of the king, was just that. To see to it that they achieve within the Jewish nation a yira ilah, a heavenly fear. But they said no. They said, give us a king like all the nations have. A king that should make peace should cause peace between people that if not, like the Mishnah says, or if you keep me score at home, the end of the Mishnah is getting paid a K. People would swallow one another if not for this. Sorry, this is not in the Mishnah. This is the Mishnah of the Same Mishnah. And the proof of the matter is, if the Jews, stood in this low, low level, of Yerushalayim, they said to Hakadosh Baruch Hu. Therefore, Hakadosh Baruch Hu says, "Ki Oisei Masu." They're fed up with me. They've had enough of godliness. But still, in all, Hakadosh Baruch Hu said, "Fulfill their want, fulfill their 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 request, and give them a king." Although their purpose was not necessarily the right one. But when there's lacking a basis of the fear of God, the king can fix this. He can just rectify it. And therefore we need to indeed appoint a king with the hope that he will slowly be able to raise up the nation until they'll be able to once again grasp godliness. In our days though, Okay. Woo. As we said before, Gitten, the end of Pedic Hay. Man Malki, the mother says, Who's the king? Rabbanon. The Rabbanon. Everyone needs to comply with the Mishnah, Pirkei Yavis, Pedic Aleph, Mishnah Vov, and Mishnah Tesayin. Asay Lechor Rav. 
you need to make for yourself a rav. There are those that hold, if they ask main questions, basic situations to the rav, that's good enough for them. But in a daily life, on my daily behavior, he doesn't have to know. He doesn't have to be mixed into everything I do. One has to remember that in Chas Shalom it lacks in Yerushalayim. He needs to immediately get himself out of the situation spiritually that he's in. He needs to turn to a Rav in every single thing that he does. And this way, the Rav also has a tafkir of a king. The Rav, not just being a Rav that gives you a psak din on a shayla that you ask, but you conf- you concur, you confer everything to the Rav. Anything that happens, a child said something, your wife said something, you did something, you feel you're, you're not comfortable today, you're not happy today, because something in the air is not good with you, you confer with the Rav. Das Teda is a way one needs to live. And this is in today's din. If you have a shock, you don't know what to do. You're at loss, says Rashi. It's hidden from you. And you don't know what to do. The mission is to go to the Rav and to ask. And to find out what Teda says. Absolutely not. <laughs> unless, unless every so often he can give you a hug if he can give you a hug <laughs> not virtual then you're okay someone asked if Rabbi Google was good enough the story is told of a chassid that every year a shchidish el would embark on his journey to Lubavitch it was a distance but he would get by foot and he would walk to the Tzemach Tzemach. And this took two, three, sometimes all the whole month. He sometimes arrived literally right before Rosh Hashanah. And for years and years he did this. And of course, you know, it takes a toll. At 40 you feel energetic, still 50 you're still feeling pretty good. Turn 60 you start feeling like you're falling apart. Hmm. he was already well into his 70s but to walk he said goodbye to the family and he went it was a late L not like this year and the late L brought on frost not just normal frost the snow the winds and our chassid unfortunately was not made of the same stuff anymore a week or so into his journey he felt he was weaning he was not going to make it God forbid he went another day or two and he felt, this is it. This is the final journey. 
And he literally was ready to sit down in the snow and say Kriyashma, say Vidui. And the only thing that gave him peace of mind was the fact that he died on the way to the Rebbe. He was on the way to a major thing, to a big mitzvah going to the Rebbe, and this gave him peace of mind. His concern, however, was what if I don't get buried? What if the animals come and eat me? I won't merit a Jewish burial. And he's sitting here in the snow with these awful thoughts when he hears in the distance what sounds like a wagon oncoming. And he turns and he sees indeed off in the, in the horizon there's a wagon. It's getting closer and closer and he's very happy. Maybe, maybe. This is it. The salvation is here. And the wagon stops and Ivan is sitting there and he's got a bunch of barrels in the back. And he screams to him, Moshka! What are you doing? See, you can't walk anymore. Come. And he gives him a hand. Find some place back there with my barrels. And the chassid wedges himself in between the barrels, the freezing winds, and the cold. The barrels were not protecting him. At least when he was mobile, he was moving, he was getting a little bit, some kind of warmth. Now he was sitting in one position. He was definitely due for frostbite and death. But then he saw a faucet on the barrel. What chassid doesn't walk around with a cup in his pocket? But what are the barrels? Maybe the wine, chas v'shalom, it's wine, is chayin He can't drink chayin esach, Maybe it's oil. can't drink oil either. Or vinegar, who knows what. But there's a small, remote chance that it's vodka. And so he puts his skeletal under the faucet and gives a turn. And lo and behold, ah, vodka. He makes a bracha, says Lachayim, drinks. Then he screams out to the wagon driver, Ivan, Slushne, listen, I'm freezing here. And I took the liberty of taking a kelishkul of vodka. I'll pay you for it soon. As soon as we get to my destination. But let me ask you, can I take another? I said, sure. And a second led to a third, to a fourth. And the chassid began to get warmed up from the vodka. And the chassid began to sing, and Ivan started singing with him. And it was amazing. And the days later, they arrived at the destination. And the chassid jumps off, and Ivan jumps off and hugs the chassid. I don't know if he took money or not. And they part their ways, and the chassid goes to this medish. And the chassidim see this elder chassid, this older chassid. And of course, as always has been and is till today, when you see an older chassid, you go and see what you can glean from him. What words of wisdom does he have to impart with you? 
And the Chosset said, Kindelach Zodvisen, you should know, sometimes we're surrounded by something that is so good for us, but we don't take advantage, and therefore we could just die without it. Tater ain't mayim elotater. Tater is compared to water. And sometimes the water is all around us and we don't even know it. We don't drink it. They were so perplexed. What do you mean? What are you talking about? And he said, Kindalach, you're by the Rebbe. Chassidus is all around you. But what is Chassidus worth if you don't ingest it? If you don't take it inside you, if you don't make it one with you? His message was very clear. He said, sitting there with all that vodka, it was worthless if you don't take and drink it, if you don't ingest it. With all the chsidis around you, if you don't take it into you, what's hostile from them? We said before, the Rebbe spoke on this Pasha Shaft and Toshin on the Pasuk, Navi Bekirbacha Elif Tishmon, chapter 18, verse 15. Perik in this week's Pasha. The Navi will be amongst you and you should listen to him. And this, of course, the Pasuk in its entirety, Navi Bekirbacha Elachicha. Kameini, Moshe is talking about, like myself, Yakum Lachashem Lekacha, the Almighty will set up for you Elif Tishmon. Elif Tishmon, the Chazal tell us, if you're keeping track, on, uh, uh, keeping track at home, Yemar Yevam is Tzadik Amit Beis. Afilu Eimad Laver Al Achas, we call Mitzvah Shibatel, even if he tells you to sin, Kigain Eliyahu, Bahara Karmel, like Eliyahu and Hara Karmel, Hakal if he shuts, only for that moment, Shemei Alei, therefore you listen to him. That's what the Torah tells you when it says, Elof Tishmon, the prophet is a true prophet. You listen to him no matter what he tells you to do. The example that Chazal brings us is talking about Karbanis sacrifices that were brought up, brought up on Bames. In those days, this, once the temple was established, the Mishkan was established, you could not bring a carbon on the Bames. Beis HaMikdash was in Etzisrael, and that's the only place you could bring on the Mizbeach in the Beis HaMikdash. In the olden days, you were able to set up a Bama anywhere, a little Mizbeach, a little, ta- a little uh, altar, and bring a sacrifice. Henceforth, once the Beis HaMikdash was in Etzisrael, you could not. And Hara Karmel was not Beis HaMikdash. And yet Eliyahu Anavi against the Eiv de Baal established and set a bomber, an altar, and sacrificed the carbon. Tells us the Tata that like Eliyahu did it because he was the true prophet, you were allowed to do and follow what he did at that moment. Mother Masechtis Yevomis asked this question. And it talks at length over there about bringing on the bomber a carbon. 
And the Gemara says, Bo Yerushalayim, he came to Yerushalayim, Nesru Abomis Lehoya Eid Yeser. It became also to have any bombs and it was no longer allowed to be done. What is Chazal therefore teaching us at great length and in every detail the dine of bringing up Karbanas and Abama? Something that was not allowed any longer. However, it's possible to say perhaps that the sacrifice, bringing a sacrifice on a bomber would be allowed even today. If a prophet of true value, of real essence, came and told us to do so. For the moment. Like Elio did in Harakarmel. So therefore we need to listen to the Novi and to bring a Karban on the bomber. So therefore, how are you going to bring the carbon of the bama if you don't know the halachas? So therefore, the Gemara brings down all the halachas of the bama. If you keep in score at home, the Gemara in Yuma Tesamet Beis and Seitam and Chesamet Beis tells us Mishemaisu Neviim Achreinim when the last prophets died, Chagei Zchari of Malachi, the Stalker Ruach Hakedish Mitzrayim and Ruach Hakedish left the Jews. And according to this, we see that they can't be a Navi in our days. But the fact of the matter is, that's not the way it works. We've found many different places in Divri Chazal that Hashos Hashkina, Hashos Ruach Hakedish, after the Neviim Achrinim as well. And the Rambam brings down also in Hilchas Nevuah. There's no limitation in time that it could say that it's impossible to have a prophet. So we can't explain the words of Chazal in the Stalker of HaKedosh Mishraw like after the Neviyam HaKedosh Achrena it was impossible to happen. Just it was not, the essence was not there. Prophecy was not around. And they don't say Botla it became Oiposka that they became nullified or became it came brought to a stop. Nistalka, it raised up, it left. In other words, it did not, it was not bottle, and it was not cut off. It was just put away in a way that we don't find it. It's harder for us to reach it. But if someone fits the criteria to rest for the resting of the Vua, then Ruach HaKedish can come upon them, like the Ramam says. And therefore, the great the fact that it's greater that a sacrifice is brought in the Beis Hamikdash rather than a bama. When you bring a karma in the Beis Hamikdash, the kedusha, the holiness, spreads also through the, the entire physical world. It stands on the altar, and which makes the place itself holy. And this we have in today's day as well. The holiness of the Beis HaKnesses and the Beis HaMedrash. Which they are considered Migdash Ma'at, a small temple. Every good thing that is merits to Kedusha, to extra Kedusha, like he does in a shul. And therefore it is preferable that they do everything in the shul. To add Kedusha on Kedusha. 
holiness on holiness. <laughs> the Shabbos and the Shul used to have on its Talus bag a sticker that said, if you come here to talk, where do you go daven? And they have it all shuls. They have this sign that says, Asal is daven, Bishas of Trila. It's prohibited to talk during davening. And you have always the Latsanam that put up on the sign next to it, also the Spal Bishasadibur. You can't daven while we're talking. Talking during davening, during Kaddish, Chazar Sashats, Kriyas Hatayrachmanalutsan is a precious ill that people are totally oblivious to what they're doing. They tell a story, and I hope it's not true, of a group of people that were sitting and talking through Kriya Satera. And one of them was said, uh, excuse, one of them was told, they're calling you to the Tera. Oh, he jumped up, excited, and he's going in big strides to get to the Tera, because after all, they waited for him already. And he passes the Shul Letts, the shul clown, and the shul clown tells him, be careful, it's a very heavy Sefer Torah. And he gets to the Sefer Torah, and he kisses the Torah, and he takes it and he lifts it up. And everybody starts screaming, what are you doing? We called you up to Hamishi. But he unfortunately was oblivious to it because he was talking his way through it. Did the let's, did the clown, the jester, do this in order to teach him a lesson? Honestly, I highly doubt it. But, nothing is done perchance. Everything is a message from HaKadosh Baruch Hu. Everything that HaKadosh Baruch Hu does to us or for us is to teach us how to live and how to behave, how to act. How to exist and how to coexist. Whether it means going far away my children are leaving on Shlichus to New Zealand next week. They're opening Chabad of New Zealand again. They're going to be working as co-directors of Chabad of New Zealand. And they, they accept donations. And it's very far. So to have your son, your daughter-in-law, your granddaughter move that far away, it's very, very difficult. Were there any other loved one that moves away, even if it's only a temporary, for only a day, for only a week, for only a month or a few months, for only one semester, it's a very difficult thing. But if this is what HaKadosh Baruch Hu does, and this is the direction HaKadosh Baruch Hu puts us into, we need to accept it with a smile, accept it with love, cherish it, and say thank you Hashem for giving me the schus, the merit of fulfilling your mission. And may we fulfill our mission the Shabbos and sheftim v'sheitrim titim l'cha l'chol sharecha we should be given sheftim and sheitrim judges and police and we should be able to stand in the Beis HaMikdash HaShlishi in Yerushalayim Yerakredish the Shabbos Shabbat Shalom to all.